You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me to preach your word. And Lord, that you would not leave us to ourselves, but that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Christianity is not a part-time activity. And by that, I don't mean those who are engaged in full-time ministry. I'm talking about all of us. All of us who claim to be Christians. The proclamation of the gospel never takes a vacation. Even so, uh, there are times through circumstance where a, a break is needed, a break could be used. And that's what we see in Mark's gospel this morning in chapter 6, where the 12 disciples, or as Mark says in verse 30, the 12 apostles have come back from an incredible ministry of preaching and healing. And they're excited to tell the Lord Jesus all that had happened. And so it must have been music to their ears when Jesus says to them, let us go to a desolate place. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's go someplace where we can relax, uh, someplace where we can actually talk, where there's not a lot of distraction, where we can process uh, what the ministry has been doing and maybe even where we are going. But it's somewhat comical because as they get in the boat and the north side of the Sea of Galilee to sail from west to east, uh, what happens? Uh, They can see the crowds following them on the shoreline along the northern shore. Uh, It it must have been ridiculous looking. And whether the wind was against them or there was no wind and they had to row, we don't know. But what we do know is the crowds beat them to the other side. And so... With the hope of any vacation dashed, Jesus steps out of the boat and does what? He begins to teach them. In fact, he says, or Mark tells us that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Well, so much for the vacation. And as the day went on, it began to get late, and the disciples said to Jesus, "Uh, Jesus, send these people away to the neighboring villages and countryside because we're in a desolate place, and there's nothing here for them to eat. And Jesus gives them a command. You give them something to eat. Their response is entirely practical. It would cost a year's salary just to have one meal. And that's just sort of basic fare. And even if we had the money, there's not a caterer uh, here in this desolate place. So we need to send them away. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? So they go and check, and it's basically a bag lunch. Five loaves, two fish. And they give it to Jesus. And Jesus miraculously multiplies the loaves and fishes so that there's even leftovers and everyone eats their fill. This is not a miracle of generosity. This is a miracle of Jesus taking a bag lunch and making it 
into feeding a crowd of over 5,000, because it's just 5,000 men. doesn't include any women or children that would have been there as well. It is a true miracle. Now, you can kind of identify with the disciples, can't you? I mean, because behind their criticism of, uh, Lord, send them away, it's not just a practical consideration. We don't have the food or the means to feed them. There's also the whole idea of, get them out of here. Send them away, because maybe at least we can have a quiet meal together, these five loaves and two fish, without all these people being in our hair. But Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. See, the disciples make the same mistake that so many in the church today make, and that was that they were operating out of an understanding of scarcity rather than abundance. What they didn't understand that a bad, was this, that a bad lunch in the hands of Jesus Christ could feed the entire world. There, there's no thing too small that God couldn't use to bring glory to his name. And yet they thought, surely this is not enough. Well, this story is in many ways the story of the Advent. We began worshiping as a community in the year 1871. We began as a small community. There were only about uh, 20-some-odd people that were brought together in 1871. And the first place that we ever, ever gathered as a congregation, a grocery store on the corner of 2nd Avenue and 19th Street. We had no pews. We had barrels and crates. And, Tom, and Philip Fitz, who was the rector of St. John's Elaton, about a mile and a half west of where we stand today, would do the morning services at St. John's and then come to the grocery store in the afternoon. And so the congregation began to grow. And by 1872, a year later, we had amassed a church of 27 people. But we'd outgrown the grocery store. At least we outgrew the hospitality of the man who was not a Christian, who was loaning the grocery store. And so we upgraded to a dance hall. And the stories of people being amused and being so distracted by Mr. Fitch trying to preach when there was all this paraphernalia around from the night before. Well, needless to say... Even the dance hall wasn't enough, and so the parishioners got together, and they made, were able to contribute a grand total of $315 for a new building, which, suffice it to say, was not enough. But somebody stepped up, who was a generous individual, and a pine chapel was built right about where Carpenter House is right now. And just think of it. In 1872... There were 2,000 people in Birmingham, 27 people worshiping as parishioners. They built a church 60 feet by 25 feet, which sat about 200 people. Now, wait a minute. 27 parishioners built a church for 200 people. Someone mismeasured. We don't do that. But why would they build a church for 200? Not just because Birmingham was becoming the magic city, but because they understood the power of the gospel. They actually prayed with the spirit of expectation that God would bless this place and grow it. And so by 1875, we had 90 members. In 1882, we had 123 members. In 1887, we had 500 members. 
And with just over 500 members, we decided to break ground on a new building. This building. Now, it was through fits and starts, and it wasn't until the, the original Pine Church burned down that we really thought, hey, we really need to finish up this building. Uh, but look around you. 500 members built a building that we can cram about 900 people in on Easter and Christmas Eve. That would be like us today building a church that could seat 7,200. Do we have that kind of vision? Why did they build such big buildings? Not because they thought it was beautiful. In fact, do you know what our first communion table was in the Pine Chapel? A crate covered with a cloth. They certainly have left a magnificent structure for us to worship in. And I'm grateful, but they built it the size they built it because they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to bring about growth and for men and women to come to know the Lord. Now you would think, throughout the history, we've had some wonderful saints serve our church. And I want to highlight a couple today. One, during the 1880s, when we really experienced exponential growth, we had Thomas Beard. Thomas Beard was a wonderful man of great evangelical conviction, and he understood that gospel ministry is not part-time, and he was always on, and he was always full board. In fact, he had a reputation Lots of stories about him. One where he ran into a woman on the street who never came to church but was an adventer. And he greeted her in this way. Ma'am, why do you fail to attend services? Is it because you don't like my sermons or because you don't believe in worshiping Jesus Christ? She was in church next Sunday <laughs> and every Sunday since. On another occasion, Dr. Beard was making his way down one of the city streets and a young non-attender saw him coming and so he ducked down a side street and increased his pace. But before he knew it, he looked up and there was Dr. Beard right next to him. And after exchanging normal pleasantries, Dr. Beard stopped and the young man stopped too and he looked at him and he said, Son, someday your sins are going to overtake you in exactly the same way that I have. But when they do, it will be too late for you. And then he walked away. And this is a guy who didn't mess around. Right? He, he, the gospel was so important to him that he was constantly putting it out there. And his ministry, uh, really, the fruit of it was borne out in the filling of even this church building. We had other greats. James Van Hoos. James Van Hoos was responsible for planting many of the Episcopal churches in our area. He actually never made it to being ordained a priest. He was ordained a deacon and yet felt the call firmly on his life to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he spent most of his time planting Bible studies throughout the city of Birmingham. And so, under the leadership of Beard and Van Hoos, in 1887, just as we're about to build this building, now, if you're, I mean, they, didn't, they didn't go to seminary and learn this. Somebody should have told them, look, if you're going to build a big building like the one we're sitting in, you definitely don't start planting churches because you need all your resources here. But in 1887, we started a Bible study up by five points that would eventually become St. Mary's on the Highlands. Now, as if that wasn't enough to say, you know what, the gospel's so important, it's more important than this building, we're going to go plant a church, as if that wasn't enough... In 1890, we started Grace Church Woodlawn. And you think, golly, two churches while we're trying to build a church building. How about another one? 
1890, we built St. Mark's, which was an African-American out, uh, outreach to African-Americans in Birmingham. And there you see Bishop Carpenter, a former rector uh, of the Advent, uh, down front. And then in 1902, not that long after this building was completed, we planted St. Andrew's Church in Southside because of the boom of the development down there. Now it would be 47 years later until we would plant another church and that would be St. Luke's Mountain Brook under the leadership of John Turner. And Betsy, there's not a day that goes by where I don't thank God for your father. And the ministry of John Turner in this place was a remarkable thing. And this is what one of uh, the uh, historians of the Advent said about John Turner when he became rector of Church of the Advent. The present rector, like his predecessor, that would have been Bishop Carpenter, is a young man. This is an age of young men. Perhaps this is why he possesses such a happy outlook on life. He assumes with a smile of certainty any seemingly impossible task. One of the true persons in the one of the young persons in the church once remarked, quote, Mr. Turner is forever starting something. This is true, but the sequel is he invariably finishes that which he starts. Now, what I want you to notice is that that was the last time we planted a church. We're almost 150 years old, and our first 75 years was all about planting churches in Birmingham. And we haven't started one since. But this sermon is not about going out and planting churches. It's about advancing the gospel. Because one of the things that John Turner did is he turned his attention to downtown, to his own parish. And so the Lenten preaching series that we have now, that was because of the rectorship of John Turner. It really became uh, what it is now because he saw the need to minister to the downtown community. And that's why we have the statue like the Compassionate Christ outside given to understand that this place is an ark of refuge where you can hear of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And yet it's very easy for institutional churches that have had such wild success to rest on their laurels, to do what the disciples did. Lord, we really don't want to tell these people about you. This crowd is actually in the way. We'd much rather tell you about the joys of our ministry when you sent us out. Jesus said, no. Gospel ministry never takes a rest. There's not even time to rest on your laurels. Absolutely. Rejoice in what the Lord Jesus has done in your midst. But our prayer ought to be that we go from strength to strength in the gospel until the very ends of the earth hear of his saving love. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, of course, this doesn't put it all on us. It's actually still all on Jesus. Because what you see in Mark's gospel here is something very interesting. He at, Mark tells us in verse 39 that he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, where are they again? In a what kind of place? A desolate place. There ain't no green grass on that side of the Sea of Galilee. So what in the world is Mark talking about? When Jesus saw the crowds, 
he had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he made them to do what? To lie down in green pastures. Mark is driving home the point that Jesus is the good shepherd. And this story really is the bringing together of the 23rd Psalm of God being our good shepherd and the great commission of Matthew 28. The Lord is my shepherd. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And surely I will be, and teaching them all that I have taught you, and surely I will be with you into the very end of the age. Go, but I go with you. I'm your shepherd. I'm the one who will go before you and plow up hard hearts, so that when you go and sow the seeds of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will water them unto fruition. You go not in your own strength, not in your own accomplishments, but you go in the strength and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're coming up on our 150th anniversary. What will they say of us in 150 years? When you see the crowds, when you're walking in your neighborhood and you see your neighbors, when you're walking the streets of Birmingham and you see the businesswoman scurry by or the homeless man ask for some help, or when you're at Bryant-Denny Stadium or when you're at Jordan-Hare Stadium and you see those great crowds, do you see them as a faceless, amorphous crowd? Or do we see them as Jesus saw them? As human beings, as lost sheep that are in need of rescue. Our task is clear. You give them something to eat. I want to close with the hymn we're going to sing at the end of our service and probably the most important message that we can receive as a church family. Stanza three and stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor and watching unto prayer When duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. My friends, we have a story to tell the nations to the street corners in Birmingham and unto the very ends of the earth that God would continue to bless us and that we might go out in boldness with the gospel of Jesus Christ and feed the nations with the bread of life. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.